0: You're listening to Mystery Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the Lake Bodum murders. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another glorious episode of Mysteries Still Unsolved. Although, spoiler alert, this case is actually pretty gruesome and not glorious at all. So, if you were ordering this episode in drink form and ordered a glorious, you better hold that glory because that's what we're serving up to you today, folks. Um, before we get down to the nitty gritty, as Nacho Libre would say. We have some housekeeping to do, and seriously, stop your whining because we only do it once a week, and I don't even wake you up at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning with my vacuum cleaner and loud Spanish music like my Puerto Rican mother used to do to me. Mom, freaking Maddie, if you're listening, I'm putting you on blast. So, unless you want my mom to be sent to your house, just sip it. Um, if you're not already following me on Instagram at mystery still unsolved, then you might want to reconsider every 2023 life decision thus far because they're not good. Uh, follow me there, and you can see pics and videos of the cases that we cover. You can share your thoughts, theories, opinions, and comments there as well. I also host giveaways every once in a while, or I will pop in on stories to have a quick little chat. It's great fun. If Instagram isn't your thing, feel free to go to my website at www.mysterystillunsolved.com. There you can binge my now 99 episodes. Yes, that's right. Next week, we're going to be doing our 100th episode, and I need to tell you some exciting news. This next episode, the 100th episode, is going to be coming at you live on the Instagram, it's true. So don't forget to join me. The date and time will be Tuesday, February twenty first at noon. So I hope to see you there. If you can't make it, I'm going to do my best to try and save it on the highlights. But then obviously I'm still gonna post the recording on Thursday. So wherever it is that you listen to this podcast, albeit you know Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, um, you can do that. But you can always find it on the website too. Alrighty, I think that that is enough. Um, we should probably just dive into the episode. Um, did I mention that this case is rough and gruesome? If not, just remember that you asked me for this, okay? Like, this is why you come here. Alright, so this week I'm going to be taking you on a journey outside of the United States of America. So you will need your passport because, you guys, we are going to Finland. Um, A family member of mine just learned that she'll be living there for the next 18 months. So, you know, I had to do a deep dive into any unsolved cold cases that may have occurred there because I have problems. And that's where my mind goes when people tell me exciting news. (laughs) Uh, Sure, I could look into the origins of Santa Claus or the fact that the Finnish like hella respect reindeer. Um, Did you guys know that they treat their reindeer better than most employers in the United States treat postpartum women? Yes, it's true. But that is for another day and probably another podcast. (laughs) No, we are here to talk about unsolved murders. And boy, did I find a whopper for you in finland um, in fact the lake Boda murders is the most well-known unsolved mystery in finland's history and many argue that it is also the most brutal crime to ever occur on finnish soil i will tell you that while i did do my best to get you the most accurate information regarding this case there are discrepancies between articles simply due to the fact that a lot of them are in Finnish and then translated to various languages. So there are definitely like transcriber translator errors. So if you happen to be from Finland or you do a little bit of digging on your uh, by yourself and you see something that's a little bit askew from what I'm telling you today, please know that I probably just read it from an English article that hadn't been translated very well. But with that being said, I've got the gist of it down pat, and so we're just going to go with it. Lake Bodum is located in a small area of Finland called Espo. It's fairly close to Helsinki, which if you're uncultured swine like me, you might not know that that is Finland's capital. On June 4th, 1960, four Finnish teens, Myla Bjorklund, Anya Maki, who are both 15, and And their boyfriends, Seppo Boisman and Nils Wilhelm Gustafsson, both 18, decided to go camping off the shores of picturesque Lake Bodum. I have a hard time saying that word. Picturesque. Picturesque. Anyways, Myla and Nils were a couple and Seppo and Anya were dating. These kids were Roughing it, and I know that that term is subjective. Like to me, all forms of camping are roughing it, unless I'm staying in a lodge or a hotel. But I think even to the average normal person, these kids would be considered roughing it because I'm talking like two wooden sticks with like a tarp over it, dirt floor, and that is their tent. Roughing it, um, all seemed well if you can get over the fact. They had a dirt floor, which I cannot. Um, The boys set up the tent in a shaded area on a slight slope because who doesn't want to be sleeping on a slightly tilted dirt mound? Am I right? Am I right? Um, And the boys parked their motorcycles nearby. We can only assume because there's no record of it, but I can only assume that like if teenagers are camping, then they probably made a fire and like talked into the wee hours of the night um, before deciding to hit the sack. Um, Sometime on the morning of June 5th, between the hours of 4 and 6 a.m., something unthinkable happened that changed this quiet town, changed the reputation of this lake, and quite frankly, changed the entire country of Finland forever. In the morning, two teenagers who were birdwatching in the area noticed a collapsed tent with blood all over it. They were pretty far away. They were just looking at it through their binoculars, so they called the police who decided to come out. When the police inspected the scene, they saw that the tent was literally torn to shreds. There were these deep slashes into the canvas. It was trampled. There was just freaking blood everywhere. It was a mess. It appeared that whoever had done this had blitzed attacked the teens from outside of the tent before making things more personal. Uh, the police were able to determine that all of the teens were attacked with either a knife or an unidentified blunt object. Uh, the ME at the time said that he it could have been a rock or possibly a pipe. Due to this attack, three out of the four teens did end up succumbing to their injuries. The fourth teen Nils was found alive, but was still badly injured. Um, He didn't get off scotch-free for sure. He suffered a concussion, jaw fractures, bruising on his face, and he was also stabbed in the forehead. Stabbed in the forehead. Just let that sink in, okay? Um, Honestly, none of those injuries seem too pleasant at all, but if you can believe it, they were actually the least of the injuries of the 14s. Um, They noted that Nils and Myla were found on top of the tent and Seppo and Anya were found inside of the tent. Myla, who was Nils' girlfriend, she was actually the one who received the brunt of the aggression. Milo was found naked from the waist down. However, there were no signs of a sexual assault. Um, She had been stabbed multiple times and most of these stab wounds were made post-mortem because it was actually um, shown by the ME that uh, her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. But for whatever reason, whoever killed her had continued to stab her relentlessly. Um, And as we might know, this is obviously known as like complete overkill and usually indicates that the killer may have known or had some sort of disdain for this particular individual or like in the case of Ted Bundy, like he didn't necessarily know his victims personally, but his victims all stood for someone that he did have complete disdain toward. Seppo and Anya, the ones inside of the tent, they were attacked with a heavy object, and that is inevitably what caused their deaths. However, they were stabbed as well, just not to the extent that Mela was. The police believe that the killer blitz attacked them as they slept without even entering the tent. In fact, they believe that most of the stabbing occurred with one person outside of the tent just, like, stabbing haphazardly in all directions, like a freaking maniac. Um, they thought it may have been possible that Nils and Myla may have tried to like get out of the tent to escape when they were attacked on top of the tent. So that might explain why two of the kids were on top of the tent and two of them were inside. Now, if you start doing your own research on this case, sometimes you'll read that all of the teens were stabbed. Other times you'll read that Mila was the only one to be stabbed. But all of the articles agree that Myla, by far, for whatever reason, was the one to be brutalized by the attacker the most. The killer also stole things from the campsite, like some of the teens' clothing and their wallets. However, some of these items were in fact recovered shortly after, like less than half a mile away from the crime scene itself, which made investigators think that perhaps the scene was staged to look like a brutalized burglary by someone who wanted them to think that. So their spidey senses were already tingling. Why would someone take these items only to toss them so soon afterwards? To make matters more interesting, there were in fact footprints leading from the scene into the woods where those items were later found, and it was discovered that whoever had walked this path and left these footprints had been wearing Nils's shoes. Wait, what? Nils? Like the guy who survived but got stabbed in the forehead? Nils? Yeah. So because of this, as soon as Nils was patched up from his various injuries, including the stab to his forehead, um, he was taken immediately by the police to an interrogation room because they were fairly confident that Nils may be the perpetrator behind these murders. One question, Nils said he couldn't remember a thing and that he was still in shock. The only thing he kept saying was that he saw a man dressed in black with red glowing eyes coming towards them, but that he would not be able to make out any facial features that could be useful to the police because he really just couldn't remember. EMTs were able to later confirm that Nils was in fact exhibiting textbook signs of shock and disorientation. But don't worry, we'll touch back on those footprints in a bit. I'm not writing it off just yet. Later, Nils was put under hypnosis and he was able to give some details about the man who attacked him. But again, we'll come back to this when we start talking about theories. Okay, so Now we're going to circle back to those two bird-watching boys, the ones that called into the police to let them know about what they'd seen. They say that as they watched the tent through their binoculars, they did notice a young man with long blonde hair walking around the campsite. There was also another boy who was fishing nearby who also reported seeing a man with long blonde hair in the area. Okay, so like I said, the police came pretty quickly and began coming up with their various theories, but what I didn't tell you earlier is that the police decided on a whim, obviously not thinking clearly, obviously they had been to a pub the night before because they were not coherent, they decided, oh, I don't know, to turn to the public for assistance. You guys, This is not the first time we've discussed this on a podcast episode. And unfortunately, I know for a fact that it won't be the last time that we talk about this. But just in case there's even the smallest hint of a chance that some detective or sergeant or rookie cop is listening to this podcast, can you please, for the love of all that is holy on this planet we call Earth, Stop letting the public traipse all over your crime scene. If I were playing Jeopardy and the category was police blunders, I would say, Alex, I'll take quickest ways to doom an investigation from the very beginning for 500. When the police do this, it almost always ensures that that there is no way in friggin' hell that a case will ever be solved or ever be presented before a judge. You have just contaminated your crime scene. You have just tampered it with any and all evidence. Like, seriously, just please stop doing it. This has been a public service announcement from yours truly. So this is why while we know there are steps leading away from the tent and those footprints match Nils' shoes, it has been impossible to determine if those same footprints ever go back to the tent (sighs) therefore incriminating nils like that would have been like a straight open and shut case but because they let freaking hundreds of civilians walk around their crime scene we will never know for sure will we will we no moral of the story please just don't be dumb okay um, So this is all that we basically know for sure. I mean, it was the 60s in a foreign country in a different language and police were just like acting like idiots for some reason. Like maybe it was like national act like an idiot if you're a police officer day. I don't know. So we literally don't know much else from the night itself. There are, however, four persons of interest. And, you know, we're going to be talking about all of them right now. The first suspect was Carl Valdemar Gilstrom. So many locals to this area suspected Carl right from the beginning. Um, he was a kiosk keeper and he had a history of being hostile towards campers. Um, apparently Carl was known to be violent. He would like cut down tents and like throw rocks at people. <laughs> Uh, Some even claimed that shortly after the murders, they had seen Carl walking away from the murder scene, but that it actually took a while for people to report it because people were straight up afraid of Carl, like just straight up afraid of him. Um, They were just basically afraid about how he would retaliate against them if he were to ever find out that they were the ones to go forward to the police. Um, police were unable to find any hard evidence to link Carl to the actual murders. And I'll I'll let you in on a little secret. They were a little skeptical skeptical of the supposed confessions that he was said to have made to people at like random bars and grocery stores and late hangouts um, because they believe that he actually suffered from a mental illness that um, had led him to confess the things that he had not done, um, for attention. Um, maybe he had done it before for like other crimes in the area. Um, but I don't know. They're, they're not saying why they're so confident that Carl didn't do it, but they are saying that they're confident. Um, Carl also provided an alibi for the night of the murders. He claimed that he was at home with his wife at the time, um, and his wife adamantly confirmed this. Now, you might be thinking that there's no way it's Carl, but get this. On her deathbed, Carl's wife, the one that reported that Carl hadn't been home that night, he She admitted that he had come home and threatened her that he would kill her if she didn't go along with his story. And so this is how she knows for a fact that he is indeed the murderer. Carl has since passed. He actually took his own life in 1969. He drowned himself in Lake Bodum right near where the teens had been murdered. He left a suicide note Again, claiming that he was the one to kill the teenagers. The second suspect was Penty Soininen. Um, he was 15 at the time of the murders. Um, he had been convicted of several violent crimes throughout the 1960s. Um, as you remember, two of the victims were 15, and so many people thought perhaps. They knew each other somehow, maybe not, like, from school or anything like that, but, like, maybe they had met Penty when he was out and about in the area and just kind of, like, let him hang out with them at the campsite for a bit, and then later on that night, he came back to kill them for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um. So, anyway, when Penty was 24, he was in jail for something completely unrelated, and he actually confessed to the crimes, but police listened to the confession and there were just like a lot of things that didn't add up. So it's the belief of most people that Penty just claimed to have done it in order to like gain prison cred, if that makes sense. Um, he did end up hanging himself while he was in prison. And some articles, not all, again, some of the articles are different because of poor translation. Some of the articles claim that he actually committed suicide on the anniversary of the Lake Bowdoin murders. A lot of people like poo-poo Penty as a suspect, and believe me, so do I. But because of the confession, that made no sense. Uh, But most people think that he didn't do it or couldn't have done it because he was only 15. And for some reason in their minds, there's no way a 15-year-old would be able to overpower two 18-year-old boys, and two 15-year-old girls. But let me just say for the record that I poo-poo that. I mean, if the four teenagers really were sleeping in their tents during the time of the Blitz attack and just like woke up to someone like stabbing them through a tent... I think that Penty absolutely could have overpowered them. They would have woken up dazed, confused, their eyes were not focusing in the darkness, and I don't think that they would have stood a chance. Anyway, I really don't think Penty did it, but again, not because of his age, but because of his bizarre confession that didn't seem to hold any water. Another suspect was Hans Osman. Osman. I love his name because it just reminds me of the Ass Man from Seinfeld. Do you guys remember that episode? I freaking love that show. That is my jam. I could literally watch it every day until I die. Um, I'm sure that that name, Hans Osman, is fairly common in Germany because that's where he's from. But we all know that if that kid grew up in America, oh man, he would have been toast. He would have had some toasty buns, that Hans Osman. Anyway, most public suspicion focused on Hans, who lived very close to the crime scene. Hans was also a former police officer, so he would kind of know how to cover his tracks. Um, He had a very crazy backstory. So apparently he had fought for the SS and he was a prison guard at Auschwitz concentration camp. So... Osman has seen some stuff. Now, before we judge him too harshly, I will let you know that he did flee his post after he fell in love with a Jewish woman and they escaped together. And that is so cute and probably would be cute if we didn't also think that maybe he murdered four people. Um, So after he escaped um, his post, he was later apprehended by the police and they agreed not to harm him or send him to prison or kill him if he would come and work as a KGB spy for them, which he did. Okay, so remember when I told you that Nils had gone under hypnosis and that he was able to come up with some details about the attacker and they were able to form a sketch from those details. Okay, so the picture that the sketch artist drew kind of looks like Hans. All right, are you ready to hear something else wild about Osman? The morning the teens were found, Osman actually went to the hospital with some minor injuries. He had blood on his clothing and nurses and doctors working during that shift reported that Hans was agitated Extremely paranoid, and he kept faking unconsciousness. He also lied about his identity when he checked in to the hospital because he came in under a false name. The nurses also report that he had a strange black substance caked underneath his fingernails and that they had asked Hans about it several times, but he would never really give them a straight answer. When police went to interview him, they couldn't help but notice that he looked very similar to the sketch, and he even had long blondish hair, as had been described by the birdwatching boys and the fisher boy. It was even like slicked back with like hair oil or gel, as the boys had described as well. Even more suspicious, after the description of the killer went public, after the sketch was made public, Hans cut his hair. But again, no one tested Hans. No one, it seems, attempted to confiscate his bloody clothing and test that. I don't know. I'm not gonna give them too much crap for that because it was the 60s, 30 years before, you know, taking DNA was protocol. Um, but it also could have just been complete incompetence on the police's part because it wouldn't have been made it wouldn't have been their first mistake they made that day. Um, some people don't think it has anything to do with any of those and that it was literally just that the Finnish, um, police department was scared because the KGB came and might have talked to them. It could be. Um, my husband and I just finished a show with, um, and it had like KGB in it. I don't know if anybody has seen Chernobyl on HBO. It's kind of like a mini series talking about the Chernobyl incident in, um, Poland, I believe. Um, anyway, the KGB is depicted in it and they, from what I can tell, at least from the show, do not mess around. They will literally wreck your life if you don't do what they say. So I could definitely see them being like, hey, maybe we should look into Hans Osman. And the KGB was like, no, you shouldn't. And they're like, okay, okay. Lastly, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Nils himself, the lone survivor of this horrific ordeal. Forty-four years after this heinous crime, Nils was in fact arrested for the murder of his girlfriend Myla and his two friends. He was married. He had children who had grown up and left the house. He was actually about to retire from his career of um, bus driving. So it came as quite a surprise when they arrested him in 2004. And actually, the police went so far as to outright close their case. That's how confident they were in their theory that Nils was the one who did it. Apparently, they believed that through like some blood work they had taken at the time that Nils had been drinking and he might have been acting belligerently. Some people think that Nils was upset with Mila because apparently he had been trying to, like, get her to, like, put out for quite some time, and she just, like, kept rejecting his advances because she wasn't ready, um, and some believe he started to get aggressive or rude with Mila, and Seppo, his 18-year-old friend, got pissed at him, kicked him out of the tent, and told him that he needed to cool down. Um, they think that maybe Nils may have attempted to get back at Seppo by beating him up, And Seppo was kind of like more of a athletic person in comparison to Nils. So it's possible that he overpowered Nils and broke his jaw before going back into the tent. So this might explain why Nils had like a broken jaw and some fractures in his face. The three remaining, so like Myla, Anya, and Seppo, they think that they fell asleep and Nils just kept getting worked up, kept getting worked up, and he decided that he was going to attack them. Um, This claim is actually kind of supported by some neighboring campers who said that sometime around the hours of 1 to 3 a.m. that a drunk boy stumbled upon their campsite and that the boy closely resembled Nils. They couldn't say for 100% that it was Nils, but they said that whoever it was looked like Nils. The women said that whoever the guy was, came into their tent, started acting belligerently, was, like, saying some really, like, nasty and repulsive comments to them, but that he was later scared off by the men that they were camping with, and then he just, like, left in the direction of the teenager's tent. Um, Nil's trial started on August 4th, 2005. Nils' defense lawyer argued that the murders were the work of one or two men and that Nils would have been incapable of committing these murders on his own, especially if Nils was drunk, as the prosecution claimed. They also argued that Nils would not have been able to give himself these, you know, terrible injuries, like being stabbed in the head. Um, However, the prosecution struck back saying that it was strange that, that the shoes found less than half a mile from the crime scene belonged to Nils and that the shoes had the traces of all of the victim's blood except for Nils. They believed Nils had killed the three teens while wearing his shoes, walked off into the woods after grabbing some items to disperse in the trees. They think that he took his shoes off, went back to the campsite, and then self-inflicted his injuries to make it more believable that he was nothing more than an innocent victim and not the murdering monster that he really was. They believed it was just plain old luck that he didn't die from his self-inflicted injuries. It also should be noted that Nils had long blonde hair. Okay, so after all was said and done, the prosecution was able to talk, the defense was able to talk, Nils was convicted and he served one year in jail, but he was acquitted of all of his charges a year later. The jury said the evidence was conjecture and inconclusive. They also argued that due to the passing of time, they would never be able to take into account the evidence as the DNA on everything, had been too badly degraded. It also hadn't been stored properly, probably just because it was the 60s and people didn't really know what they were doing. Um, they also said that the prosecution failed to deliver a believable motive that could be proven. So they're not saying that the motive wasn't believable. They just are saying that the motive can and will never be able to be proven. Uh, Finland ended up paying Nils 45,000 euro for his mental suffering that he suffered when he was in jail for a year, but he was refused permission to sue the Finnish newspapers for his defamation that he had um, accrued during the trial. All right. Well, that is actually all I have for you today. I am super curious what you make of this case. Do you feel like any of these suspects seem plausible? I am going to hop on my Rochelle box real quick. Hop, hop, hop. And I'm going to tell you my opinion. Okay. <clears throat> I think it's either Carl, just because he seems so adamant in his multiple confessions, and also the fact that he took his own life like, at the crime scene and wrote a suicide note saying that he did it. And his own wife on her deathbed made sure that she told people that her husband had done it and that he had told her that he would kill her if she told anybody what he was really up to that night. So I think he looks good for it. Uh, Nils also looks good for it. Um, I mean, I know that he got off, but it is interesting that no one else's DNA was found besides the three teens. Like there were No, there was like never any outsider DNA. And this is unusual because many people forget or like don't really think about like how slippery and viscous like blood is. Um, It is quite common for someone stabbing someone to slip their grip while holding the knife and accidentally cut themselves. In fact, if you have been following the attack of the college students in Moscow, Idaho, Then you know that police have kind of been alluding to having some DNA um, that didn't match any of the victims. And I can only imagine that because they said that there was no like sexual component to the case, that has to be blood DNA, right? I'm just like doing process of elimination. I don't know for sure. They just kind of like hinting. And so like, that's my best guess. And yeah, so they could have gotten blood DNA and they've been able to match it to that freaking dude that they caught. It may also explain why Mila was the only one found with her bottoms pulled down and why she was the one who received the most overkill. Because as you remember, Nils and Mila were a couple and a lot of people think that maybe he just got like super frustrated and angry with her because she wouldn't like have sex with him. Um. It could have been a crime of passion. Uh he was just super upset. And then Anya and Seppo, like, they weren't really to blame, but they were just kind of like there. So Nils might have felt like he just needed to eliminate them too. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of people think that there's no way that Nils would be able to commit this act and then just never get in trouble with the law again or kill anyone else again. But you've gotta remember like If Nils did it, he's not like, I mean, he he would be a murderer, but he's not a serial killer. Like, I feel like this would have been a very isolated incident. I don't know. So maybe he wouldn't have felt compelled to do this sort of thing again. Maybe just like the situation was just so, the variables were just right, the planets had aligned, and like, that's why he did it. And he was also an 18-year-old, and 18-year-olds are stupid. I don't know um let's see yeah so just some food for thought I don't know you guys will have to tell me what you think um but I also think that Hans Ostman's good for it too because there's a lot of weird stuff like when he went to the hospital and checked in under a false name and he had blood all over him and was acting like super weird and sketchy and like faking unconsciousness I don't know. It just, it just seems bizarre. Like, it seems like it's too much of a coincidence for those two things to not be related. Anyway, before we wrap up, I actually do have one more little tidbit about this case. I lied earlier. I do want to mention this creepy photo that was taken at the teen's funeral. Okay. So like a buttload of people came to this funeral first because, all of the teens were in high school, and so they had tons of friends, and so everybody at the high school went. And also because things like this just don't really happen in Finland. They're usually a really peaceful country. Um, so the whole country wanted to come and, like, show their support to these families by attending the funeral. Anywho, remember when um, Nils gave details to the sketch artist and it kind of looked like Han's? All right. So the sketch is similar. Like I'm not doubting that it's very, very similar, but it's not exact. It's not. In fact, the sketch, I'll put a picture of it on my Instagram. It kind of looks like the guy from the Goonies, <laughs> just like these super exaggerated features, um, like huge lips and these bulging eyes and this long A forehead. Just kind of like a lumpy head and face. Okay, so again, it does look like Hans. But it also eerily resembles this image of a dude in the crowd at the funeral. So somebody at the funeral must have just like taken like a candid shot of the onlookers and attendees. And there's this one face in the crowd that looks exactly like the sketch, like bulging eyes, five head and all. And I mean, killers are known to do this. A lot of them want to see the aftermath of their crime, so they'll inject themselves into the investigation, which... Honestly, wouldn't have been hard in the situation since the police were basically begging people to come and destroy their crime scene. Uh, the killer may have attended the funeral to get his jollies by seeing the sorrow that he had caused kind of like we've seen with the Golden State Killer. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but he went to a town hall meeting and he got super pissed when this one guy got up and was like, I don't know how you're all letting this happen to you. Like if if the Golden State Killer came to my house, I yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then that very night, the Golden State Killer followed him home. And decided to teach his family and him a lesson. So I think it happens a lot. Watch Criminal Minds. Watch Forensic Files. This sort of thing happens all the time. Um, I am so intrigued by this case. I'm so intrigued by the four persons of interest. Because I don't think that this has ever happened to me. While I've been recording or researching a podcast. That like all four of the people. Persons of interest, like, they all could be good for it. Like, there's not one person, except for that one kid that, like, confessed to doing it but didn't have any of the information. Um, Like, his confession didn't line up. That's, like, the only one. So three out of the four persons of interest, like, I could believe that it was him. Like, if they were like, oh, yeah, this is the guy, I'd be like, oh, I knew it. It makes sense. Usually there's like one that looks really good for it and then like a couple of others that kinda look good for it and then just like some wacko like alien conspiracies. But like three out of the four look really, really good for this. But I don't know. I want you to tell me what you think by going to my Instagram at mystery You can leave a comment of who you think did it. You can shoot me a DM if you don't like doing it in public and you just want to like shoot me a private DM. But I want you to tell me your theories and which suspect you think is good for it. Um, don't forget to go to my website, www.mysterystillunsolved.com to listen to all 99 episodes. I can't believe I'm going to be in the triple digits next week. I'm so excited. Thank you, guys. Um, if you want to support this podcast more, you can tell a true crime-loving friend or family member about the podcast. That way, you can have something to talk about at awkward family gatherings or slow days at work. I I will sacrifice myself to do that for you. Um, Again, as always, don't limit yourself to the confines of the term family and friends. You can tell the cashier at the cookie shop that you frequent. You can tell your dry cleaner. You can tell your Pilates instructor. You can tell your barber. Literally, I want everyone to know about mysteries still unsolved. But do you want to know the best way to support this podcast? Uh, Of course you do. Join me next week when together we'll discover, did anyone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?